Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. So great to be with you all. And uh, I'm going to be continuing our sermon series today on the Beatitudes. And we're going to go, we're going to start with uh, Beatitude number one, which is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. As, uh, as I've been thinking about this sermon series coming up over the last couple of months, <laughs> I've been thinking about Jesus and how he embodies every single one of these things in the Beatitudes, that his sermon, his message, as he's, as he's speaking this out, it's actually an invitation for us to join in with him in embodying this. And Duncan, last week, he, he preached on blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I feel like there's been a, a growing hunger and desire for God and his kingdom across the body of Christ around the world. Are you guys sensing this or feeling this? Anyone who's prophetic or, you know, in tune to what God is doing, but he's doing something in our midst. And it's easy to look at the news and see, you know, the things that are the, the bad things, bad things that are happening, but we are called to look to God and see what he's doing and what he's saying And he's doing something new and he's doing something exciting and he's moving and he's real and his presence is real. And, and my prayer and my desire as we go after him as a body, as a church body, a body, a body in unity is that we would stay hungry for him. We would stay desperate and dependent on him. That it wouldn't just be right here in this room as we're singing, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it would go out with us as we're in our jobs, as we're in our workplaces, as we're with our families. That we would still be saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm hungry for you. And so as we go throughout these next few weeks, diving into the Beatitudes, I want us to be looking at it through a lens of Jesus embodying these things and us being invited into embodying them, that there's something for us that we can receive within these beatitudes. So the word blessed in the Greek, it's, it's kind of a bit of a difficult word to translate. As Duncan made a joke last week, blessed means blessed. <laughs> it literally does. And uh, the Greek word in this text is makarios, which a lot of translators kind of um, either they interchange the words blessed or happy. And it's not blessed in the sense that you have a lot of things. And it's not happy in the sense that you're ha- like, that you're happy in how we think happy. But it's, it's an internal joy that is not based on circumstances. It's an internal joy that is found only in God that the world cannot give us. It's found in Him. And the word hap, in Latin is where we get the word happiness. It's also where we get the word happenings. And oftentimes our happiness is based in our happenings. It's based on our circumstances. If the sun is shining, I'm happy. If my bank account is full, I'm happy. If I got the promotion at work, I'm happy. If my kids are behaving, I'm happy. But this type of word in the Beatitudes, Makarios, is not that type of happiness. 
That this type of happiness is a blessing, a happiness, a joy that is to be discovered outside of our circumstances. It's not external, it's internal. It's not circumstantial. It's found in God. And Jesus, as he's speaking these, as he's going through the Beatitudes and he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will be, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is countercultural, Jesus' message. It's countercultural to the times. Because, and I, I would say, kind of in our society too, but in the Jewish society, if you were poor, you were, it was like you were cursed. If you were wealthy, you were blessed. And so as Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor, they're kind of like, huh? This doesn't make sense. This is not, you're blessed when you're wealthy. You're blessed when you have favor. You're blessed when things are going well for you. I don't really understand this. But these statements show us the potential of what God has for us. They show us the blessing saying, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit, but then there's for theirs, for they, it's part two of the blessing in the Beatitudes. It's Jesus is revealing the potential that is in him and in his kingdom for us. We don't just, you know, Jesus came and brought us salvation, which is amazing. And we want, and we, we get to say yes to him when we get to receive our salvation. But Jesus didn't come to just give you salvation. He came to save you, but he also came to show you that there's an entire kingdom that you can walk in. Where your broken relationships can be restored. Where your body, your physical body can be healed. Where your emotions, the mental, emotional, physical trauma that you've experienced can be made whole and healed in him. That we can walk in so much more in the kingdom of God. Amen? For theirs is the kingdom. There's so much more in this. So Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's two words in the Bible to talk about the word poor. One of them means you don't have enough. And this word is stokos. I was like trying to say it on my Siri, like, how do you pronounce? And it was like, tocos. And I was like, okay, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. And it means you have nothing at all. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying, blessed are those who have nothing at all. It means you're completely destitute. You could, I would kind of translate it like this. Blessed is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, and one who realizes their absolute need of God. In some different translations, in the NLT, the New Living Translation, it said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. 
God's word translation says, blessed are those who recognize they're spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. In the new century version, those who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now I'm preaching to a bunch of people that are in the triangle north in North America and North Carolina in the United States of America in the Bible Belt. And it's sometimes hard for us to realize what does it look like to be spiritually poor? Because we have so much. We have so much. We can't take for granted running water. That you can turn on your shower, turn on your tap and water comes out. You can drink it. You don't have to squat over a hole (laughs) and use a teapot to clean yourself full of water. I've done that (laughs) in the Sahara Desert. (laughs) When I'm like, Dad, I was younger, I was like, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. Here's a teapot. There's the bathroom over there. And you're standing over a hole looking down being like, Lord, please don't let this hole cave in. I cannot go down there. We actually don't realize how poor we are sometimes. When we live in a place of abundance, when we live in in a place where we could have anything we want at our fingertips, target, drive up, pick up. I don't even have to leave my car. Some states, they're testing out returns straight from your car. And you can order your Starbucks while you're waiting for your return, and they'll bring it to you. So you don't even have to leave your car to go. And I know this because I've done my research, all right? Because you got four kids. Going in there for the return is like, oh, come on. It's not in North Carolina yet, all right? It's in uh, Minnesota, so we'll get there. Just kidding. But (laughs) what does it look like for us to be spiritually poor when we live in a place of so much abundance? We'll never depend on something unless we think we need it. And when our bellies are full, when and I'm not saying there's not lack, you know, there's a lot of things going on in our nation, you know, an impending recession, um, inflation. Like I know that there's struggle. I know people in this room that have been struggling and that's not what I mean. I just mean when we live in, in a world of comfort, it's hard for us to imagine deep lack, like the kind of lack where the only thing you have is the clothes on your back. You don't have any shoes. You walk two miles to go get your water and haul it back. And you're four years old. Heidi Baker, she had this vision where, for those of you who don't know who she is, her and her husband, Roland, lead a ministry called Iris Ministries, Iris Schoolable, and they, um, they have planted thousands of churches all across Southern Africa, and they have children's homes, and specifically in Mozambique where they live, they have children's homes, they've discipled thousands of Mozambican pastors who've been sent out into their places, into their villages and have planted churches and God has done extraordinary miracles. And she, her and her husband, Roland, felt called to Mozambique in the 90s. They moved there as full-time missionaries. And somewhere in the early 2000s, they, uh, Heidi felt for a call from God to spend a third of her time ministering and preaching in the West. Now, when you've lived in Mozambique and you have rescued children who are literally living in one of the largest dumps in all of the world as their home, and you see poverty like never before, like physical poverty, to be called to go to the West 
and preach a third of your time when you feel called to this nation is a huge sacrifice, right? So she's in California and she's preaching at this church and she's in the women's bathroom and the faucets are literally made of gold. Like not like, oh, they're brass, they're trendy gold. No, they're gold, like solid gold, like cut them off, let's run and get out of here kind of gold. And she's laying, <laughs> she falls on the floor and it's carpet, which is a travesty in itself in a bathroom. But she's on this carpet floor in this bathroom with faucets made of gold. And she's weeping, crying out to God saying, what am I doing here, God? I don't want to be here. These people, they don't understand. They don't, they don't know what poverty is. I, I could feed my entire village, city of Pemba, Cabo Delgado for months just from the sale of this faucet. They don't get it, God. And she has this vision. God takes her in a vision and she sees these men and women walking down these steps of this like courthouse behind her, behind them. And they're wearing suits and as, and they're holding briefcases. And as they're walking down, their suits kind of fall off and underneath is a skeleton with a bloated belly. And God said to her that the, my bride, the bride of the West is just as poor, but they don't realize it. And their spirits are poor and they are, (laughs) they are bloated bellies, desperately in need of a savior. And in that moment, God burdened her heart like never before for the Western church. And she's been for now several decades preaching here in the West, a third of her life. Because a lot of us don't recognize our lack when we have so much. And we can go to any church or go down any road, go to any business here and in Raleigh. And there are people in that room who don't know that they need God. I love what Duncan says. They've been, you know, given, inoculated with just as, of, just as much of Jesus to make them, I don't know, I'm butchering this in this moment. Sorry. They, to make them fully immune to him. Francis Chan, he has this message where he's, he's leaving his ministry and it's almost like his last kind of charge that he gives to his church. And he's saying how we've raised our kids in these safe neighborhoods with these safe fences and they're in their safe Christian school. And while all of these things are not inherently bad, we want the best for our kids. We want the, you know, we do, we want them to be raised in a certain way. And I I get that. And I appreciate that. I have four of my own kids, but there's something about, we have to take our children out of our safe places and show them that the world is a lot bigger and a lot more in need. And that type of thing, when, when you go and you serve in your city, when you go and you serve on a missions trip, when you go and you see the physical lack and need, it makes you realize that you're actually pretty blessed that 99% of the world would want your life on your worst day. But our spirits are destitute and helpless without him. And I want you to hear my heart in this saying that I want us to be successful. I want us to be successful people. I want your businesses to prosper. I want your, I want us to get promoted at work. I want all of those things for all of us in this room. And God wants that too. But it's realizing that from that place, We have to be fully dependent on him. We have to be broken before him and recognize our brokenness.
recognize that we are nothing without him. Turn with me to Revelation 3. Revelation 3, 15 through 17. This is a convicting verse for us. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, is in the island of Patmos, and he has visions as he's writing this book. And Jesus, in his glorified body, comes and he appears to John and he speaks to him. And in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus, through the angels, gives seven messages to seven uh, churches. And we're going to look at the last church of Laodicea. In verse 15, it says, I know your deeds. Think about this like, I know you have a community center and you're doing prison ministry and you're doing street ministry and you're doing an Easter egg outreach and look at all the things you're doing. You're giving to missions. But you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, lukewarm. If Raise your hand if you're a foodie here. If you enjoy food, you love food, good food. All right. Everywhere we go. We're, we were just in Myrtle Beach this weekend with some Catch the Fire pastors. And Aaron and I are looking up breakfast spots. And we're like, top breakfast restaurant, cool atmosphere, vibey, uh, good food, whatever. Like you, we're always looking the best restaurants, right? To go to. But if you've had food, you want it to either be hot or cold. Don't give me warm sushi. Don't give me hot sushi. Give me cold sushi. Don't give me a cold burger. Give me a hot burger. We don't want that tepid, lukewarm in the middle, right? Hot or cold means be all the way one way. Be all the way one way. And this lukewarm is actually an attitude that can creep in thinking I'm okay. When we start thinking I'm okay, I'm serving, I'm coming to church, I'm giving, I'm okay. Or going to church once a week for an hour and a half is enough. When we start thinking like that, when we're entering into that lukewarm territory, (laughs) But Jesus, when we start saying, when we start saying, I'm rich, I'm going to heaven, I've got what I need, I've acquired wealth, I'm successful, I don't need anything else, Jesus looks and says, no, actually, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. (laughs) And what I want to happen in each of our hearts is us to recognize and realize how wretched, poor, blind, pitiful and naked we really truly are without Jesus and from that place press into him from that place realize that our dependency has to come from him for everything he has to be the one to come and satisfy our soul that all of the other things don't matter if we don't have him I don't have anything except by him And nothing that comes my way will ever compare to him. And so I'm going to take you guys through four things this morning of what our lives would be like without Jesus. When we don't recognize our need for him, when we don't recognize how utterly destitute we are without him, what our lives would be like. So number one, without Jesus, 
I pay for my own sins. You know, I think a lot of us think we have a role in our salvation. And the truth is we don't. We don't have a role in our salvation other than it's a free gift that's been given to us. That Jesus has given us our salvation. But the thing about sin is someone has to pay for it. You're not forgiven just because you say you're forgiven. You're forgiven when your debt has been paid. And each and every one of us has a debt that has to be paid, but it's already been paid. Jesus has come into our lives and paid our debt in full. And without him, we would have to pay for this. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And a lot of us, we, we go throughout our day not remembering how we were before Jesus, what our life was like before him. And maybe some of you, you do know, and you're like, thank you, Lord, that you saved me. Come on, Vanessa. Thank you. Anyone else, if you know what your life was, come on, give him a hand. What our life was like before him, that he saved a wretch like me. Come on. And there are others of us who maybe we don't have a crazy radical testimony where God set us free from that moment. Maybe we were raised in the church and we've just always known God and loved God. But the reality is without him, we would have been sentenced to eternal hell. Because Duncan says our sin, when we, when we tie ourselves to our sin, our sin's eternal destiny becomes our eternal destiny. But when we tie ourselves to Jesus... we become dead, buried, and resurrected in him, and we are seated in the heavenly places. Amen? Hell was not created for you and I. It was created for our sin. Ephesians 2 verse 15 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve, made us alive in Christ Even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by his grace, getting something we didn't deserve, that we have now been saved. When we realize that Jesus has paid that debt and has brought us into his kingdom and has seated us in heavenly places, it makes you worship him in a different way. It makes you love him in a different way. It makes you realize how thankful you are. How grateful you are for him. And that is the kind of heart posture that is what Jesus is talking about. About the poor in spirit. Of recognizing our total need and dependency on him. Because without him we would have been dead in our sin. But with him we are alive. Through his grace and his mercy. Amen. Number two. Without Jesus I can only cope through my pain and personhood. What I mean by this is, have you ever heard the phrase of, it's just who I am? 
I am who I am. Anyone? Yes. Have you ever said that? Yes, sometimes. We look at our family line and we're like, our grandfather was angry and my father was angry and I'm angry and it's just because that's, I am who I am. That's all I've known. And while I believe in thought patterns and I believe in generational curses, I also believe that Jesus breaks those. And we are not just coping through our pain. In Jeremiah 6, he's prophesying this, 6.14, he says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. We often try to put a band-aid on what we're going through. We just pop a band-aid on this gaping wound and say, Peace, peace, we're, we're fine. There's peace. Everything's great. When there is no peace. But Jesus comes to heal, restore, and transform our lives. Without Jesus... Think about yourself without Jesus. The worst version of yourself. The worst version of myself would be an angry, control freak who on the inside, life is going ballistic and blowing up. And on the outside, I'm like, hello, how are you? (laughs) Fake. Without Jesus, that's who I would have been. Think about yourself. Without Jesus, who would you be? Would you be angry? Would you be insecure? Would you be trying to be the funny person to to deflect from the fact that you are full of pain and depression and sadness? Jesus doesn't want us to just put a band-aid on our pain and our gaping wound, but he says you are not you are not a victim to I am who I am. With me, I want to bring you into a place of healing, transformation and set you free. Come on. First Peter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There is a shepherd who has healed us, and he oversees our souls. Our souls are our emotions. God is, he's overseeing our souls and he's healed us, transformed us, and he's calling us back to him. When we go astray, we return to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. Amen. John Arnott said, God says, God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He does. He loves us too much. He looks at us and he's like, there's so much more for you. There's so much more of that potential in the kingdom for you. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be impatient. In fact, Galatians 5, through 23, the fruits of the spirit, he's saying my, me and you can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did you guys know you could be gentle? You can be loving. We can be patient. We pray that over our kids every night when when they're going to bed. I finish my prayer and I say, and would you grow in love, joy? And we go through the fruits of the spirit. Because it's something that we can grow in. As we grow in the revelation of the spirit inside of us, we can grow in knowing that we can be loving and patient and kind. Amen? (laughs) You get around God long enough and you recognize the things coming out of you. You're like, whoa, wait a second. That would have really bothered me, but it really doesn't. 
Why doesn't that bother me? And then you realize that this, the spirit of God is transforming you, that you're not the same person. Number three, without Jesus, I'm trying to find or create my own life. You know, as a youth pastor, I used to get a lot of questions from our students of, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? What does God have for me in my life? Even sometimes we, we think that even in our adulthood. What are we, what are we doing? And the Bible says he, is or, he has set eternity in our hearts. God already has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. He set it in our hearts. And he uses this question of what's my purpose to draw us to him. Because he has the answers for everything. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, he knows the plans I have for you. God knows a plan for your life. He, he knows the purpose that he has for you. Without him, we try to find it and create it. But God already knows it. And God already has planned it. You know, the world says you were just an accident. The big bang happened. Or maybe you were, we were just a microorganism that then, you know, replicated into this thing and we now have grown a tail and now we've shed our tail and we had hair and now we don't and we used to be share a common ancestor with a mushroom I remember that from my biology class and I said mushrooms I hate mushrooms um I'm working on it my husband was very disappointed when he married me and realized that I didn't like mushrooms so I have a little bite at every <laughs> every time um I heard someone once say from goo to you through the zoo. And I was like, what? <laughs> how th- the world has faith to believe that this is how we came about. I think it requires more faith to believe that than it does to believe that there's a God that has a plan and a purpose for me. And there is a God that has a plan and purpose for you. Amen. <laughs> because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am and what my life is all about. In the kingdom of God, the, what Jesus is inviting us into it is, hear my heart when I say this, don't settle just for salvation. Salvation is amazing. 1,000%, we need it. But there's so much more in him. There's so much more to the kingdom that he wants us to experience, that he wants us to have. And if we just stop there knowing, oh, I've been saved, then we miss the entire kingdom that he has for us waiting a life that lives in wholeness a life that lives in healing a life where we can be transformed a life where we have a purpose and a destiny and a calling and all of it is to bring him glory and all of it is for us to draw near to him and for us him to use our life for his glory oh i love it (laughs) in Acts 17 (laughs) Acts 17 verse 26 paul is in athens greece and he's he's preaching to these people who are worshiping a God, and it says, in the name of, of uh, an unknown God. And this is how he appealed to them to follow Jesus. Verse 26, he says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God has chosen you for this time. God knew you were going to be in Durham, North Carolina, 2023, at this time. God has appointed you for this time. God brought me, a British-born girl, to a Nigerian-British father and a British mother from a small, small village in England 
all the way to Toronto, Canada, all the way to Raleigh, North Carolina, and now I'm here preaching to you today. And God, he looks at that and he, like, I feel like he would laugh at that, how crazy it is in his kingdom, what he does and what he calls us to. And it's the same for your life. Maybe he brought you from somewhere else and now here you are, appointed and anointed at this time, called for this moment. And he says, watch this, you know, watch what's going to happen. But verse 27, it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God has purposed you here for this time, but everything that he's done up to now, bringing you here, doing everything that he's done, his hand on your life has been for the purpose of reaching out to you. And for us to draw near to him, he's literally reaching out for us to find him. And in him, we live and move and have our being. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. Nothing. And that is what the poor in spirit is. It's recognizing the the total need and dependency that we have for him. That everything has been purposed for us by him. Last thing. Without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that fade away. We all, you know, there's those songs like, let's live the night because we're going to die young. Or the phrase like YOLO, you only live once. And these are all for moments of temporary joy, seeking after thrills, seeking after whatever's in front of us, the shiny object in front of us. But God says there's something better for you that is eternal that is not temporary, that's not in this moment. And we have to fix our eyes on him and realize that there's something greater for us. And that is resurrected life with him, in him. First Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. There is an inheritance that we have in his kingdom that will never spoil, that will never fade, that will never go away. And he's calling us into that more, into that revelation of more. And because of Jesus, we can live a life that glorifies him and impacts others. We're not here just for us. We're called to love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And then we're called to love our neighbor, love one another as we love ourselves. That there's a world, and this is what I I love about what God is calling us to do in our city, is we're called to transform the lives of others. It's not just about us. I love how Justin puts it. He says, "Would, would the city know if our church closed its doors? And if the, if the answer is no, then we're doing something wrong. Would your neighborhood notice if you left, if you moved house? Would they notice that they went through a miscarriage and the flowers weren't there anymore or whatever, that you showed up for your neighbors, that, that you're there, that you're present? Our life, because of Jesus, we get the joy of living a life that impacts the lives of others. It's a joy. Let's stand.
I want us to take a moment as we, as we finish to close our eyes for a second. And I want us to just be real with ourselves. I know that this may have felt a little heavy at times, but we are all in need of God. We're all in need of a savior. And often we can go through our lives, not, I guess, more taking for granted what Jesus did. But the invitation for us this morning is to recognize as we do all of the things that he's called us to do, as we're impacting the lives of others, as we're, as we're being entrepreneurs, as we're working in our businesses, as we're raising our kids, as we're going to school, all of those things, we have to start from a place of humbleness and surrender before him, saying, Jesus, without you, I am nothing. But with you, there's a whole kingdom that you've said that I will inherit. And I get to do this life with you. And so I want us to ask ourselves, where are the times and the moments where we actually think we're okay without him? That we've been okay, we've been doing it. We've been maybe going through the motions of it. And we've forgotten our need for him. That without him, we are completely destitute. Utterly hopeless. Just take a moment to repent to him. Just say, I'm so sorry, Lord, for any way. Where I've thought I can do it on my own. Where I've thought I'm okay. And I've forgotten that I need you. If our ministry team can come forward, I... I want to invite anyone that you just want to come, you want to kneel, you want to stand, you want to sit, whatever it is, just before God and just say, God, here is my life. Would you use me for your glory? I'm, I want to be hungry for you. I want to be desperate for you. I want to be dependent on you. I want to have that spirit, that, that spirit of spiritual poverty. I want to be bankrupt for you in the best way. Realizing my need for you. Why don't you just, you're welcome to come forward. Come up to the front. Just have a moment with the Lord. And our ministry team is going to go around and just lay hands. But Jesus, we just recognize that need for you. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.